0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of Matthew. Let's go ahead and look to uh, his word here this morning, Matthew 24. As we begin this morning, okay, it is, it is important for us to consider here a few things. We're covering a lot of ground here today, okay, so put on your seatbelts, get ready to go. It is my desire, and I believe this is what what the Lord wants us to do here over these next few weeks, to make our way through the last part of Matthew with a bit more speed than what we considered through the first half of uh, the gospel. And so that doesn't allow us to delve as deeply into some parts as we may like like chapter 24 is one of those chapters where it would be very easy to get bogged down into a lot of details. Uh, and, and I don't want to do that today. In fact, as we find Jesus here in Matthew 24, we know if you've been uh, studying along with us, he's in the last week of his earthly life and ministry. I mean he's in the last days at this point, not even week. And so as we make our way towards uh, Resurrection Sunday, I think it's important for us to maybe consider a little bit more in context some of what's happening. And so we're going to be moving a bit more quickly. But as you'll find this, this chapter here, this chapter and chapter 25, I and mean, there's a lot here. I'll phrase it like this in case some of you may be not as familiar with chapter 24. If you're wondering, well, well what about it? I'd, I'd ask you this question. How many of you have ever wondered what the future holds? You've wondered, man, what's going to happen a a week from now, a month from now, a year from now? What's going to happen in my life? What what is God going to do here in this area or in this area? If you've ever wondered what might happen in the future, well, this is a chapter for you. This is a chapter that is a prophetic chapter. This is a chapter where Jesus begins to give us insight into the end times, these next two chapters are two of the most significant when it comes to something we call eschatology, which is a study of the last Things, or the end times, which also then means because these two chapters are so filled with, with this type of information, it also means they're two of the more debated chapters in the Bible, more of, uh, controversial chapters in the Bible. There are many perspectives on what this chapter is communicating, and in particular, what Jesus is saying. So while I will certainly teach this morning with with my own and with Calvary Chapel's doctrinal perspectives in view, I could not possibly begin to consider the range of opinions and perspectives in a single Sunday morning. Uh, And more importantly, I don't know that we're intended to. You know, I'm not sure if God's intention was that the church, when we come to chapters like this, would become so consumed with trying to interpret the various details in the chapter to lend support to, say, for example, our views on things like a pre- or mid- or a post-trib rapture or a millennial reign of Christ. Um, some of you may be more familiar with those terms than others. It's not that it's not important for us to consider those things. Hardly. But rather, as we look at these two chapters, and so I want to make sure that this this is clear at the very beginning, when we consider here today chapter 24, I do think that there is one primary thing that Jesus wants us to understand. And that is, as it relates to his return, that we are looking for and are ready for his return. That we are looking, actively looking for the return of Jesus Christ and that we're ready for it. That, I believe, is what chapter 24 is is primarily telling us. And then as we get into chapter 25, that's going to be about making sure we're found faithful when he does return. That we're going to be doing the things that he wants us to be doing at that time. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that consideration of eschatology or such matters is wrong. I simply think that there are times when we become too focused on it, and in turn, we miss the primary meaning of the text. Now, As mentioned, I wouldn't be a good Calvary pastor if I didn't say regarding our doctrinal perspective, just so you understand the background of which I'm teaching this, I do believe, as does Calvary Chapel, in what we call the rapture of the church, which is an event in the future where the Lord will snatch away or catch up his church to meet him in the air, that this event is sudden, that it is without warning, that it could happen at any moment. That's what we call the doctrine of imminency. It means that the rapture of the church could happen right now. Nothing else needs to happen before that event. And that it is not a visible event to the rest of the world, only that those who believe will suddenly be gone. I do believe that this event happens prior to the seven year tribulation. Some people say that's just an escapist mentality and I say amen. I have no desire to go through the tribulation. And I believe then that his church will return with him in glory at the end of the tribulation to commence what I believe is a literal 1,000-year reign on earth. If you want to know more, and I'll touch on this, of course, uh, throughout the message today, but if you're interested in knowing more about that, Study full study on Revelation is available online, as well as a recent study through First and Second Thessalonians. Would encourage you to check that out. And certainly, if you have questions, challenges, cries of outrage, uh, you can let me know, and we'll tackle those on the Q and A on Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Okay? And so we're welcome to that discussion because, yes, my view will color my interpretation of Matthew 24 and 25. If I'm honest, it colors much of my interpretation of Scripture. But I also believe that uh, while, yes, the Bible, I do think, is clear on this, and many do agree with me, I know that many do not, okay? And so we need to be clear on this also this morning as we begin, that such a view should not create hostility as it often does. We are passionate about our opinions, certainly. But this is not a matter of salvation. It is an area that we can agree to disagree on, What is important, and so hear this clearly this morning, what is important is that we as the church, if you're a professing believer in Jesus Christ, that you believe Jesus is coming back and that he has something to say about what we are to be doing when he does, okay? Now, let's turn our attention to the text. Let's uh, recall for a moment where we're at here. Uh, Context is that Jesus has just finished a back-and-forth debate. They call it a debate. I I alluded more to a boxing match where he delivered a knockout blow. Uh, But this is a back-and-forth debate with the religious leaders in the temple. Now, Jesus has silenced his critics, and sadly, we read there at the end of chapter 23 of Jesus and his great desire to have been recognized by them as the Messiah. Jesus is longing for them to see who he is so that he can enter into relationship with them, draw them close, care for them, and protect them, but they would not allow it. Those of you who struggle with this uh, debate between God's sovereignty and man's free will, there's another one for you to chew on for a little bit, right? That Jesus says, this is what I long for, but you wouldn't allow it. And so now he, he leaves this place, and he speaks out against it, saying, and I paraphrase, your house, your temple that is so dear to you, this place where you supposedly are close to God, yet you have missed him standing right in front of you, it is now desolate. It's empty. And that leads us then into chapter 24, verse 1, where Matthew writes, then... Jesus went out, so he goes out, departed from the temple, and his disciples they came up to him to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, Mark's gospel phrases it a little bit differently, and he says that the disciples here in showing Jesus the buildings, that they really kind of cause him to look at the Temple Mount, and then they remark on how amazing the temple is, on how, how beautiful the buildings are. Now, here's what we need to ask ourselves. Did they simply want to make sure that Jesus just didn't miss how impressive the structures were? No. Jesus had seen them many times. He had made a practice throughout his whole life of going to the temple. He'd seen them before. What's happening here, rather, is this is their attempt to say to Jesus, are you sure that you want to leave on that note? Are you sure that you want to leave, the temp- leave with such an indictment on the temple? to suggest that it is left desolate, empty? I mean, it's as if they're saying, Jesus, this is the temple, and and you've just cursed it. Are you you sure you want to do this? Verse 2, And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. I think Jesus makes his opinion clear, does he not? and, And what we'll learn here from their response is that the disciples, they certainly did not expect that Jesus was going to say this, nor can they really comprehend it. It doesn't make sense to them. We see here also that indeed, Jesus is not concerned with such a departure from the temple. Now here's the thing, such a statement that this amazing structure, which has taken decades to build, really a wonder of the world and would still be today if it were around. And it is pretty incredible, pretty unbelievable that Jesus would make a statement like this. So so Jesus continues, okay, his disciples with him. They make their way down from the Temple Mount. You need to come down from the Temple. They begin to go east, across, down through the Valley of Kidron, across the Brook Kidron, then back up to the Mount of Olives, where you can see, really, the entire side of the Temple Mount. It's it's in view from where they're at. And it says in verse 3, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So as Jesus, here on the Mount of Olives, sits down to teach, as was the custom, he begins what we often call his Olivet Discourse. This is his teaching on the Mount of Olives, and this is one of his longest recorded teachings, and it continues from chapter 24 through chapter 25. Now, what is it that he's teaching on through this time? Well, he's responding to this very question. This question, which is really two or three questions, depending on how you want to count it, is in response to what Jesus has said. You see, as they continued their walk from the temple mount down through the valley, as Jesus had said, look at all of this. There's not one stone that's going to be left upon another. The disciples are thinking to themselves and wrestling, how in the world can that be? How? You know, Jesus doesn't just simply say, well, you know, there's going to come a time when there's going to be a war and part of the temple is going to be damaged and it's going to be really sad and they could think, okay, I could see that certainly happening. No, he says it's going to be gone, leveled. And so for them, at this particular time, they're thinking, how, how could that be possible? And we've got to consider a little bit about the temple. Now, there's a lot that could be said about it. This is one of those areas we could go into for a long time, okay? Uh, but we can't. We don't have the time for it. And so this is Herod's temple, all right? This isn't the first temple. This is considered at this time second temple Judaism. Uh, Solomon had built uh, and completed the temple. Uh, it was destroyed. Ezra and Nehemiah uh, began the rebuilding of the temple. And Herod, over the course of, of several decades, begins adding to and expanding it. And, and, and so in this work, there's incredible things that are going on, including, and it's important for us to understand in light of Jesus' statement, in some cases there are stones that are a part of this temple that are 24, 44, even 50 feet long. That's, a, that's big. And that's not just a long stone. Let's say 50 feet long. That, a stone that's 50 feet long is likely upwards of 20 feet high, 16 feet deep. These stones, in many cases, weighed upwards of 160,000 pounds. I many of you guys have a pickup truck out there. You can probably tow 10,000, maybe, maybe 15,000. 15, 160,000! Yet Jesus says, not one will be left upon another. So you have to understand, then, such destruction to the disciples is causing them to go, what in the world? So now think of the question they're asking. Tell us, when will these things be? (laughs) Good question. They want to know. But look what they're associating it with. And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Because to them, for this to happen means the world is done. The world is going to be ending. And they know from their understanding of prophecy that indeed, God is going to return in this time, in this end of the world. Okay? So now they're thinking, this is what he's talking about. Now, Jesus appreciates their question. We always know that when he begins to answer their question. Now, here's the thing. I mentioned a little bit the different perspectives. One of the perspectives we do need to understand as we look at this is there are some who take the view of this passage, specifically Matthew 24 and 25, and they look at this as this passage finding its fulfillment in the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., Okay? So some people look at this and they say that the things that Jesus is talking about were entirely fulfilled in the destruction of the temple at that time. Now, there is something amazing about that because, of course, as Jesus has said, the, the, there's not going to be one stone left upon another that amazingly, yes, regarding the temple, it was utterly destroyed. And, and so that aspect of prophecy has been fulfilled. It was fulfilled during the siege of Jerusalem from Rome under the Roman general Titus, Soldiers came in and completely destroyed and plundered the temple primarily for its gold. Titus did not want to destroy the temple. This was a several-year endeavor. At first, Israel was doing fairly well. Then Rome said, oh no, and they send tons more soldiers in and they just overwhelm Israel. In the time that they overwhelm them, people take refuge unto the temple mount. They go into the structure of the temple to try and be safe. One of the soldiers, it's reported that he's drunk. We don't know that, takes a torch, tosses it into the temple, and the entire thing goes up in flames, killing all of those who are inside. The loss of, of, of both sides during this time was in the millions. It was truly a devastation. And as that fire rages in the temple, as the heat continues to increase and increase, all of the gold overlay on the temple begins to melt. As it melts, it makes its way into the cracks of the rocks. The soldiers who know that they can take their spoils from war, that it's part of their payment, think, I want that gold. And what do they do? Stone after stone after stone, they take it down in order to get the gold. Not one stone left upon another. So yes, absolutely. Are Jesus' words fulfilled? Certainly. But as is often the case with prophecy, is that there is often a foreshadowing, a partial fulfillment. And so what we read in 24 and 25 has not been entirely fulfilled in the events of 70 A.D., but only partially. And those who want to say Matthew 24 and 25 have been fulfilled in the events of 70 A.D., I believe have to do some, we'll call, interpretive gymnastics to make it work. furthermore as we see here Jesus then begins to answer them but he answers them primarily based off the second part of their question what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age and so he jumps in in verse 4 and Jesus answered and said to them now I believe Jesus here is talking a little bit about events that are taking place from the time of his ascension all the way through to his second coming as he says take heed that no one deceives you For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Some of your translations this morning may have also read pandemic. Anybody familiar with that term? Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Now listen, are there aspects of what was just described here that were realized when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. In fact, many of these things, no doubt, people at that time were saying, look, look at all this. Wars, rumors of war, famine, pestilence, earthquake in various places. Yes, they were experiencing these things. But there are aspects of this that are characteristics of every generation. And they are only increasing. So when you read that and you find yourself saying, that sounds familiar, you're right. These things are still happening today. In fact, they're happening at greater frequency and with greater intensity. And that also is a fulfillment of exactly what Jesus has said. Look at verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows. A more literal translation there, in my opinion, a better translation says, all of these are birth pangs. Ladies, what are birth pangs? It's labor, right? You're going into labor. Now what of labor when these birth pangs first start in, I got to be careful what I say, in my experience, right? Is it my experience? No, but yes, right? When Ashley first started experiencing labor pains, it was sort of like, what was that, right? Maybe that's what that was. It wasn't all that long after that, it, it would, that. Those labor pains seemed a lot different, all right? There's a wonderful picture of me at Alexis's birth of me just going like this, <laughs> okay? That was it. That's all I had in me right at that moment. It was like, oh, man, what just happened, right? This was crazy, and it just built with intensity and in frequency, right? So as Jesus says, "Look, these are the beginnings. These are the beginnings of birth pains." Well, what happens in labor? It begins subtly. And then, it begin, and then it begins to increase frequency, intensity, and so as today we're looking around in the world and going, man, this stuff is happening more and more and more. Every time you turn on the news, you're thinking, what else is going on? What else is going to happen today? And sometimes we say it somewhat in jest, but the fact is what we are declaring is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen, that all of these things are beginning to happen more and more and more, and I wish that with a great level of certainty, I could stand before all of you today and say, hey, when this pandemic's over, that's it, never again. No, probably another one's coming. Should Jesus tarry in his return, there's other things that are going to come. It's going to get worse. Thank you, Pastor Brennan, for that wonderful encouragement this morning, right? It will. Just face it, folks. This world is passing away. Now, here's the thing. Are, they, are these things difficult? Yes, Jesus didn't say they weren't difficult, but with birth pains, with labor, there's something coming that you're looking forward to, that you've been waiting on. With all of these indications around us, what we need to recognize here, and this is our first lesson for today. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Jesus says in the midst of all of this stuff, he doesn't say, hey, panic because of wars, run and hide because of earthquakes. No, he says, don't be deceived, don't be troubled, these things must come to pass. Listen, Christian, when these things begin to happen, do we just sort of ignore it and try to pretend like it's not? No, scripture doesn't say that. Do we panic and act like God is surprised and somehow he's trying to figure out how to fix things? No, no, you see when we, th- when we see these things happening around us today, what we need to remember is these things are necessary. Necessary for the fulfillment of God's plan and so God says to us, Jesus says to us, Don't be troubled. Okay? That's your first lesson today. Don't be troubled. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. I do believe this has been experienced already by both the Jews and the church in varying degrees and at different times, and I think this will continue. And then many will be offended. They'll betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then... The end will come. And so Jesus here, as he begins to speak, I think is speaking of a time when, uh, or a time between his ascension all the way through the rest of the tribulation and his second coming. And, and, and as this progresses here, I do believe he's making his way into the time of the tribulation and believing that the church will no longer be present during that time. I think it's easy then for us to understand how wicked it's going to get. You take the church out of the picture, you, you remove the, the, the way in which the Holy Spirit is at work within believers and this world is going to get real wicked real fast but here lest we focus on something we shouldn't note what he says in verse 14 and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached it doesn't say it might be preached He says it will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. This should serve as an encouragement to us as well as our second lesson today which tells us that God's plans will be accomplished. The great commission, his mission to us will be accomplished. That's great news. That's great news about the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, don't be troubled. All these things need to happen, and my my plans will be accomplished. Now, at this point in verses 15 through 31, I believe that Jesus shifts now specifically to the time of the tribulation even more specifically, the Great Tribulation, the second half of that seven-year period. Your Bibles may indicate as such with the heading as it says, the Great Tribulation. Now, it's my opinion, based on the study of Scripture, that the church, born-again believers, are not present during this time. We've been raptured and are with Jesus in the throne room of heaven. And so Jesus then says in verse 15, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now Jesus here references prophecy from Daniel, found in, you can read about this in various ways in Daniel's, chap, Daniel's chapters 9, 11, and 12. And it speaks of a time in the last days during the tribulation when the temple is rebuilt, sacrifices are resumed, Okay, and and this is something, if you go to Israel, you can go to the Temple Institute, you can go and see where efforts are underway already, and many of the things, I think, if not everything, is currently ready for the rebuilding of the temple there in Israel. All they're waiting on is the space, right, the Temple Mount. But even there's some debate right now as to whether or not the place where they believe that the temple needs to go is in fact the place that the temple was the Jewish people are in the process of working right now to be ready to rebuild the temple and to resume their sacrifices. And there's going to to come a time as Jesus alludes to here when the Antichrist, a world leader at this time, not yet known to be the Antichrist, will on a specific day enter into the temple, enter into the Holy of Holies, will sit down and declare himself to be God and demand worship of God. And it is at that time that many will realize that they have been fooled, that they have been led astray. And while the three and a half years that have led up to that point have been difficult, they will not compare to what will follow in the next three and a half years or the second half of the seven-year tribulation. Daniel, specifically Daniel chapter 12, verse 11 says, and from the time... That the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days until the end, three and a half years. And you see, this is one of the major difficulties for those who suggest that all of these events have already been fulfilled because such an abomination did not occur during the siege. And so you really have to try and make it fit. Now, here in this section, Jesus is giving instruction primarily to those who are in Judea, in the area of Israel, and in the area of the temple during this time. As he says in verse 17, Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Jesus here is saying, you're going to need to get out of there. You're going to need to take refuge, and you should pray that it's not at a difficult time to do so, whether it's on the Sabbath when you're going to struggle to do the things that you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath, or whether you're pregnant and difficulty traveling, or whether it's winter and because of the rains uh, makes it difficult to travel. And why, is, why is this a problem? Why should they pray for that? Because, verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation, because bad things are going to be happening such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time no nor ever shall be and unless those days were shortened no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake those days will be shortened here's the thing 70 AD the events that happened there they were bad but it wasn't the worst that the world has ever seen it's one of the other reasons why it makes us difficult for to take that view of this passage. And, and here's the thing, the world has seen some pretty terrible things. If you think about history, you can certainly think of a list of a lot of atrocities. And what Jesus is saying is that this time is going gonna, gonna to be so much worse. That should be sobering to us whether you take the view that that of a pre-tribulational rapture or a mid-tribulational rapture where you will be gone during this specific three and a half years you should one praise God and say man I'm so glad that I don't have to endure that but you should also be thinking I don't want anyone to have to endure that or if you take the view that it's a post-trib rapture and then man get ready because it's going to be awful right I mean, that, that, that's the implication here is Jesus is saying no one is even going to understand or be able to comprehend how awful the pouring out of his wrath will be on a sinful world. That even then it's not yet the final judgment. But I do believe that the church will be gone. I believe that what Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, that the church, his bride, is not appointed to wrath is an indication that we are not there for the pouring out of his wrath during this time. Nevertheless, praise God that he intervenes as if he did not, all of mankind would be destroyed. In verse 23, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, many claims will be made that Jesus has returned during this time, but there is no need to be led astray because you will not miss it when he does. That's what Jesus is saying here, and he's saying there's going to be so many people who try and deceive, if possible, even the elect, he says. Now remember, throughout scripture, you see the elect referred, you see Israel often referred to as elect, sometimes you see the church referred to as the elect. We can debate what the elect is in this situation, but, but again, there's sometimes there's differences there. But throughout this time, because they've now recognized who the Antichrist is, they're going to be looking for the Messiah. There are going to be those who are seeking to lead them astray. And Jesus is saying, "You're not gonna, when I come back, you're not going to miss it. Verse 26, Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, don't go out to look, or look, he's in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. It's a unique saying, isn't it? Now look, first of all, Just as lightning is seen across the sky and often brings with it a sense of fear and of awe, so will the return of the Son of Man. It will be visible and it will be powerful. The glorious second coming of Jesus Christ for all the world to see. In verse 28 here, how do we understand this? A lot of people debate this. What exactly is Jesus communicating? Forgive me for making an attempt here and for using a... Well, you'll understand. Some of you know the old saying. In fact, it was the first phrase that I learned in one of my Latin classes. Does a bear poop in the woods? What say you? Yes, right? Yeah, I think so. Well, if there's a carcass, are there generally vultures, birds, scavengers? Yes. It's kind of this indication of, like, making the obvious statement here. Well, let's ask the question. If there's judgment to be had? Will Jesus be there? Yes, he will, for all to see. Now, Jesus says here in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, I want us to understand here, Jesus is being very specific. Think about how earlier he, he gave us the sign from the prophet Daniel of the abomination of desolation. He says, here's this sign. Then the great tribulation, 1,290 days. Then he says, immediately after this. Look, as Jesus is referring to his glorious second coming, he tells us exactly when it's going to happen based off of these earlier events. We'll get to this in a minute, and not to be you know, overwhelming you with what I believe is proof for a pre-tribulational rapture, but what of the passages that say that he comes as a thief in the night? What of the passages like Jesus will say here shortly of no one knowing that day or that hour? The only way, in my opinion, to reconcile that is to say that his second coming begins first with his rapture of the church that is imminent, that can happen at any moment and is followed up with and preceded with signs of his glorious second coming. Now, his glorious second coming will not be a surprise. It should be expected. From the time that someone sees the Antichrist sit there in the Holy of Holies, they should say, begin 1,290 days and he's coming. And it says here that the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is the glorious second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the true sign of the end as Jesus comes. And I do believe that his bride, his church, will be with him at this time. And the angels gather up the elect from across the world, those who have endured the tribulation. There will be an innumerable number, Revelation tells us, of those who are saved during this time. And so Praise God for that. Praise God that for some, they will get saved during the time of the tribulation. But I don't want anyone to have to go through that. I don't want that to have to be the catalyst for someone to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, his plan will unfold. And those people who are saved through that time, who endure through that time, will enter into the millennial kingdom. And we'll discuss that more in chapter 25. And again, this event is preceded with specific signs. Jesus says, verse 32, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all of these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Once again, much debate exists in this passage as well over this word generation. Does this mean the, the current generation that Jesus is addressing here, is, it, is, it, is he talking about the disciples and, and their peers? Well, I think we need to ask the question, did the disciples observe Jesus' glorious second coming? No, they're not around. So I don't think that's what he is saying. Now, some say that it speaks more of the Jewish people as a whole, the nation of Israel will not pass away. I think that, that could be. Some say that it's Jesus speaking of those who are living at this particular time. This, uh, what he's speaking of prophetically, that it's those who are alive at that time. Uh, I think I could lean either of those directions. I don't know for sure. But it's not, and here once again, it's not the point for us to get bogged down on. Because if we do, what we miss then is, is, is what he says in verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And so lesson three for us this morning is this: is that God's word will come to pass. His word is true. Amen? His promises are true. Not one word will pass away without all that he has said coming to pass it can be trusted and so Jesus here this morning he's communicating that 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 everything must happen but don't be afraid my plans will be fulfilled my word will be fulfilled amen and now he goes on verse 36 but of that day An hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And so we look at this, and I find myself saying, well, wait, didn't Jesus just provide a good bit of specificity, number of days, saying things like then and immediately after? And so you see here, I believe that Jesus is looking back now to the rapture, to the first part of his second coming, and of that time, that time that precedes the tribulation, that that will be unknown, but we know that it is imminent. It could happen at any moment. And we don't just say that. I don't say that today as a scare tactic. Some people want to say, oh, you're just trying to scare me. Well, listen, if it scares the hell out of you, then praise God. <laughs> and I'm serious. That's what we want, is it not? <laughs> if I come to Jesus and I say, I don't want, I don't want that, Lord. I don't want your judgment. If that's what the Holy Spirit uses to begin to bring me to a right understanding of a holy and righteous God, and the, the chasm that exists between us, because of my sin, that I say, yes, Lord, help me to see that, help me to know that. And then from there to realize that it's because of Jesus and his sacrifice for me upon the cross, that He yes, he died for me and he died for you. And that in that, he took the penalty of my sins upon him. He paid the price for it. And his blood, which was shed as my pure spotless lamb, covers me today. And so he is my Passover lamb. And if it starts with me being scared to death, of an uncertain future, well then praise God. Lord, reveal that, whatever it takes. Because he says here, unfortunately, verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. The implication here that as we approach that time, that no one knows that hour, that time when Jesus will rapture his church and there will be those who are left behind to go through the tribulation. And I say that as a matter of truth, not based off the book or the movie. what will they be doing during that time what were the times of noah like jesus tells us for as in the days verse 38 before the flood they were eating drinking marrying given in marriage until the day that noah entered the ark and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the son of man be and some may say does that mean i'm not supposed to get married is marriage bad or no, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that people will just continue to go on living their lives without any regard for the things of God. He says, verse 40, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. The rapture will be sudden. People as they, and people here as they are today, caught up in the things they want to do. No regard for God, no consideration for Jesus' return. The rapture will be sudden. People will disappear. Christians will suddenly be gone. Caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so then, what do we do? As believers, what do we do? As those who who have not yet made a decision of faith, what do we do? Verse 42, watch therefore. For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. Be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so, what does that mean for us? Lesson number four in our final lesson today. Watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. How can you be ready? You trust in Jesus trust in Jesus. You make your salvation sure. You pay attention to everything. That This is no accident. The word of God is no accident. Go back and read the chapters leading up to this point. What has Jesus been saying over and over again, specifically to the religious leaders? He said, you're hypocrites. You say one thing, but you do another. It's incumbent upon us today to allow the Lord to search our hearts. If you say you know Jesus, to be willing to say, is it evident in my life? Is my life different? Do I truly know Jesus? And when you can say, Yes, I've given him my life, I know that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I've given him my life. Well, then praise God. You're ready. Now, the next step is watch and wait. I just sit there, not doing anything, just looking through my skylight, ready to go. No. We'll deal with that in 25. <laughs> Jesus says, No, you got well, even at the end of this chapter, we won't get there today. But he says, You also need to be faithful, doing something with the things that I've given you, your gifts, your talents, because we get to, not because we have to. And so you're ready and you're watching. We'll wrap up here today. I want us, though, be, because this can seem somewhat ominous, to just reflect for a moment on what truly has, has Jesus said here because it's easy for us to really hone in on the various events and the the scary details. But listen, Jesus is saying these things, they're going to happen. As sure as it's Sunday and you're sitting here in this sanctuary, it's gonna happen. And so don't be deceived and don't be troubled. He says we, we don't need to worry, why? Because his plans will be accomplished. His word is true and it will not pass away. And so then, like a child waiting for a parent's return. Did you you ever do that when you were a kid, waiting for your your parents to come back home or a friend to come over and you just sat there at the window? And you're just like, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Because you were excited to see that person. But why would we not be excited about our Lord and Savior returning? And so we need to be looking for him. We'll we'll consider another analogy in, in chapter 25. Of that of a bride and a bridegroom. Has anybody ever seen a bride on her wedding day being like, eh? I don't care if he comes. The bridegroom being like, I mean, is she coming down the aisle? I mean, what you know, whatever. You know, if listen, if that's the case, don't get married. Call it off. Don't do it, okay? Because unless you are enraptured and going, I've just been longing for this day. This is my wedding day. I'm so excited. I can't wait to see him. I've just been looking forward to this. I've been planning for this. I'm just so pumped. Maybe that's the groom more than the, I don't know. That's what's normal. We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. We need to be saying, man, Lord, I can't wait. You know, when we say Maranatha, it means come, Lord Jesus. I'm ready. I can't wait. I'm so excited. And to some degree, that should be an assessment of where we are in our relationship with the Lord. Are we excited? And listen, I want to encourage you with this, especially for our younger folks. It tends to be the younger ones. If the idea of all of this scares you a little bit, it's okay. Be honest with God about that. Tell him, just like I did when I was young, Lord, if you could hold on the rapture for just a little, I'd like to get married and do this and do this and do this, right? Thanks, God it's okay, it's okay to be a little hesitant, but what it also likely means is that you haven't fully thought about what it is that he has in store for you, that you haven't really researched it. If to you, heaven is some sort of celestial cloud where you play the harp for all of eternity, you've looked at a few too many paintings, okay, and not read the Bible, okay? If you go on a vacation, most of us, unless you're really spontaneous, you want to know where you're going. What's in the brochure? He's given it to us. He's given us much insight into what is in store for us. And the more we study that, the more I study that, the more I am ready. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this day. This opportunity, Lord, to fellowship together, to worship together. And Lord, yes, as we consider a passage of Scripture, that can be difficult. Help us, Lord, not to get caught up in too many of the details, Lord, we may not know the answers to. Rather, Lord, help us to focus on the big picture of what it is that you're doing. Remind us, Lord, of your faithfulness as you have throughout this morning, Lord, in song and in study. Remind us, Lord, that your plan is sure, it will prevail, that your word is certain and we can trust it. Lord, that we need not fear, we need not be worried, but just to look for you, Lord, to be ready to trust in you and to look forward to your soon return. If that's a work that needs to be accomplished in each of our hearts here this morning, or any heart here, Lord, do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.